Hello, and welcome to the Wheel of Time Rewind Podcast. I am your host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined by always, or as always, by my friend Michael Whifford. How's it going, man? I am good. I am definitely feeling the blood of Manetherin today. So, we are on to our episode two, Shadows Waiting, review and breakdown here. And we just finished recording episode our review for episode one here, so we're having a little podcast marathon. We're going to dive right into our review after this. If you'd like to get into contact with the show, please give us an email at wheeloftimerewind at gmail.com. Or if you're on social media, go ahead and give us a DM, a tag, a shout out, however you want to do that, at WOT Rewind. Yes, a share would be great. At WOT Rewind in your stories. Yeah, Mike's coming with a memes <laughs> fire there, so it's all good. Um, okay, so episode two, Shadows Waiting. But Cut to the White Cloaks. Up to the wow, White what Cloaks. A way to wait, start. wait, wait, though, wait. Not the White Cloaks yet, my friend. The opening credits. Oh, yes. I have to say, like, I started watching, when I started watching that episode, it was like, skip intro. I was like, I didn't see this the first episode. Hell no. There was no intro and the first episode. <laughs> I really dig it. Very, I know people are going to be like, I hate that people are comparing it to Game of Thrones. I know. But very much Game of Thrones vibe, like the music and what was happening there. I do love that it was like a wheel of time spin, very much female, like I said, I focused. Well, if you noticed, and... it was kind of like all the different colors of the different Ajas mm -hmm. of the Aes Sedai were there. They were all being represented. They were being like woven into like the pattern and everything. And you mm -hmm. see all seven Ajas, the brown, the white, the green, the red, the blue, the yellow, and the gray coming through there. So I thought that was really good. I liked it a lot. So jumping into the what you want to talk about, the <laughs> white cloaks. What do we oh have here? <laughs> the deadly white cloaks? No, the deadly white. Yeah, it should be like a the deadly white cloaks. Like question, you know. Yeah. Uh, definitely different than their counterparts in the books, and I am here for it. Wow, was that such a scene? I'm sitting there. I started playing it, and my partner and I were sitting down eating dinner, and she was like, "Oh, okay. Like, I don't mind watching. I because I had already watched it. And she's like, "Oh, I'll watch it again." And I was like, "Don't worry. I can stop it at any point. We can talk about it." And she just <laughs> laughed. She's like, "Cause he saw it." And I was like, "Yeah." Um, and we started watching this while we're eating dinner and she was like, you gotta stop. You gotta stop this. She's like, we can watch this after I finish eating, but not during. Oh man. And I just laughed because the, really they have made the white cloaks just deadly. And, um, the, the whole vibe of that camp was just great. Cause it's all pristine. It looks good. And then you have this boy taking this metal dish over and like, you can see the fear. And I loved that that was so good because it just shows the really the the impact that uh i guess maybe not quite a spoiler but the questioner you find out later he's a questioner the questioner even Val, uh, Val has on the people in the his own camp yeah no oh so good no i absolutely loved the changes to the white cloaks i the only thing i did not like that was different was their clothing 
And yeah. I thought even that was okay, but I was really missing, like, Shepherd's Crook for, like, the Hand of the Light, which is, like, the official name of the questioners. Yeah. Um, the sunburst on their actual clothing. I did see the sunburst on the pauldrons on the shoulder, though. Mm. So that part was kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, man. the I was like, that is Eamon Valda. And I paused it, and when you mm. pause it on the Amazon thing there, you can look at their x-ray and see who the character is. And, of course, it was Valda. My initial thoughts were... Wow, these are not your book reader's white cloaks. <laughs> it's not your daddy's white cloaks. Right? Uh, but I also want to talk about the Aes Sedai he had on the stake with the fire going underneath her. I was like, okay, so no hands equals no channeling in this universe. Very interesting. What are your thoughts on that? And that goes in with what we talked about last episode with like the movements and how important those are. Yeah. And so that... It makes a lot of sense to me because it, one, gives other people, like, a fighting chance outside of shooting them with an arrow randomly. Like, they are super powerful, but they're also human, and they can still be dealt with. Yeah, and, and it's I mean... it's not, like, some knife in the dark and, like, whispers of it, like, you actually see it. Well, you see Valda has his whole collection of rings on the side there, yeah. and just, like, showing you how dangerous this man actually is to eye to die. Mm-hmm. And like you said, to anybody that he perceives to not walk in the light, even other white cloaks. So we pick back up with the action of our group from Emmons Field running from the Trollocs, which I just thought was a great connection to the previous episode, because that's how they like ended the last episode, was them leaving, and they're still getting chased by the Trollocs all the way to Tarn Ferry. And again, I thought the Trollocs looked great, they were pretty scary. I liked how you saw the Trollocs on all fours running. Like, some of them were more bestial than others. Some were more humanish than others. But the one thing I want to say about the Trollocs chasing them is, okay, we've seen Trollocs in action now. When do we get to see a Fade in action? When do we get to see a Merdral come and yeah. actually fight? And I have some theories, but I'm waiting. And I'm not going to say them yet. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about that fairy scene, Mike. Yeah, so I thought that was really good because it avoided the other town and possibly a whole other town fighting scene. Now, the whole fairy scene in and of itself, how it played out, thought it was good. You know, it really reminded me of Lord of the Rings, like when they're escaping. The Buckleberry uh, Fairy? Um, yeah. <laughs> it really get, it gave me those vibes, uh, especially when the Merdral comes up onto it. And the giant host of... Trollocs was really impressive to see like all the torches. I have a couple issues with that scene. I understand why they did it the way they did and I do want to talk about that. So like you know the ferryman coming up, oh my son's coming, he'll help us when we get there. No, we gotta go now. And like the ferryman's just like you're just, you know, you're not used to saying getting said no to. She's like no. And I like that little bit of banter there. Yes. On the way across, like, the ferryman should have seen what they're seeing and, like, these trogs and these bestial things and be like, oh, my gosh. Like, well, you saw him out. have wide eyes, but he didn't, like, shriek in fear or anything. I thought it would have been better if he would have been, like, screamed and jumped overboard maybe even. But yeah, I, I don't know. And his response did not match what I thought it should have matched. No. And then him wanting to go back over for his son. Right, it's like, like, your son's uh, dead, man. <laughs> Especially if he was yo. coming. No way he survived that. Yeah, exactly. And, like, 
I just thought felt that was dumb, and I understand like why they wanted to put it there because like yes, he had family over there, and so that gives him a bit of like motivation to go back over, and like you're destroying this thing. I like that they cut off her flows like the minute he was near it yeah, because like yeah. she can't use it to hurt him, but it was already cast, and so like she couldn't do it. And I understand they want to include that to sort of show like the bending of the three the power can too. hurt. Yeah, and the power can hurt other people, and so, like, you kind of get, like, Rand afterwards looking at her like you're kind of, like, a monster. Um, no, I... So I get that, but I, I just feel like he wouldn't he wouldn't actually have gone in the water to go get his butt. No, like, that's no. stupid. If you can swim across, then your son can swim across. Sorry. And no, I have written in my notes here that Rand is already tightening his jaw against Moraine. Because, like, you're seeing that with, like, the reaction he had for the death of the ferryman as well as through other things throughout this episode. You just see, if you watch Rand's face, you see him, like, gripping down, like, gritting his teeth almost, like, tightening his jaw against some of what is happening in this episode here. Yeah. And we're going to get to one of, uh, I think, my favorite scenes with Rand and Moraine here in a little bit. Um, But when we move on, we, you know, they set up camp there. And I I liked Egwene and... Moraine's scene because it went over the three O's and it gave you more information that you were missing before about Aes Sedai and I think this episode was really you know used to educate you about white cloaks and Aes Sedai in a lot of ways right whereas the last episode there leave taking I felt like was a little rapid like too fast paced maybe this Mm -hmm. episode here you got to sit in a nice little character pocket for a little bit and get a little bit more world building going on learning about the white cloaks learning about the Aes Sedai. The one thing I want to say here as well is, I don't know if you picked up on it, but when Moraine's talking about the three oaths, she's like, oh, the three oaths were made to end Arter Hawkwing's siege. It's like, wait, what? Like, I don't Mm. know if I've ever have heard that before, like in the books, or if I ever even like thought about that, if I did, like when Arter Hawkwing like had Tarvalon besieged, the only way he relented was when the Aes Sedai agreed to say those three O's on the binding oath rod so that they could not do those things. Which, Mike, before you say what you want to say, what are the three O's? Again, just so you can get that out there. Oh, I can't say them word for word here, but pretty much the gist (laughs) of it is, is to not say a lie or a word that is untrue, to not use the power to hurt other people except in the, against Shadowspawn, in the defense of a sister, herself, or her warder. And then to make not make any weapons no weapon yeah. yeah yes make no weapon used to kill other people yeah and but um, but, <laughs> naive, but uh not naive wow but moraine makes Egwene try and recite the three o's and she's like no 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 not the broad strokes like that the exact words because words mm-hmm. are important words matter and again i think that's just hinting at some of what we see a little bit later in this episode that i absolutely mm-hmm. loved and i'll talk about that when we get to it but Go ahead, Mike. Sorry for cutting you off. No, it's okay. Um, I was just going to say that I, I like that they connected it to Ar- Arthur Hawk- Hawkwing there because it builds the world a bit more. Mm-hmm. And when someone's talking about, you know, Arthur Hawkwing later on, you're going to like, oh, wow, like that connected back to this and so you're gonna make be able to make these connections and it's honestly a really good reason because we know his army did besiege Tarbalan in the books we do know that he was like the most powerful person alive and um at that time and he controlled pretty much the entire world and so like it would make sense for the Aes Sedai to be like hey like we'll we'll make this compromise because it make it it makes a lot of sense 
So them putting it in there, I'm like, yeah, cool. That's great. And one thing I just want to give Amazon a huge kudos for is just like, if you go into the x-ray section on their episodes here, you get so much information from like, if you go to the trivia tab there, it, you get so much information there talking about the different scenes, background information. I'm like, oh man, I could almost just go through here and just scroll through this trivia section and enjoy it. Like, wow, great job, Amazon. Love it. Yeah, they really went out all out with it. So the next part I want to talk about are the dreams and the importance of dreams because we get to see uh, a little uh, dreams making their way into the waking world in this episode, which I feel like is just setting the stage for what we might see later on down the road. Um, I do want to say that I like the little snippet there with Egwene and Rand because it starts to connect, like show some fractures in their relationship. And that's going to be something building on here. But yeah, what did you think of the dreams? Yeah. So again, I just want to go back, even though I'm the one that brought us forward. I have written down (laughs) that Rand is increasing his guard against everybody already. Like you're seeing that with Moraine, with the tightening of the jaw, with Egwene, kind of be like, I wanted to be alone. Don't come and join my bed. Get out of here. We're done. And it's uh, it's one of those things where, again, you're seeing this thing that's going to be more important later on. But the dreams here, I really liked the way that, like, Baalzaman kind of, like, formed out of the shadows. And you saw, like, the, that flash of red eyes, like, the fire eyes and everything like that. And just, again, I, I thought it was cool. What were your thoughts? I liked it. Um, I liked how creepy it was when bat w- or when Ram was pulling the bat out of his mouth. I feel yeah. like that was definitely the vibe of those dreams at the beginning. And it, I like the flash there of Balsamon. And then as you get into other sequences, you know, through hopefully over the course of the season, you'll start to see more and more of them until you actually have a conversation showing his strength slowly building up. And then we see Perrin hiding his wound from other people. Like that was weird. like he thinks he deserves it maybe for like killing Ly- yeah. Layla or whatever, but that didn't quite make sense to me. No, I was like, you could just ask someone to heal it. Like, why aren't you having that looked at? Like, it might be you because you're not sure what it's. He thinks he deserves it. He doesn't want it healed. He's like, I I killed my wife. Now I deserve to have this leg wound become infected and have to have it amputated. Well, I, I would have liked it if someone had seen it yes. like either either even in episode three maybe like Egwene seeing it like oh yeah i got this and her being like you wool-headed idiot and right i kind of took it as we'll he was in still in shock episode. again just like that yeah. like end of episode one shock that Perrin had kind of has spilled over into episode two where he's almost like walking in like a daze or riding in a daze through a lot of this episode <laughs> now we get into um one of my favorite interactions with rand and moraine where they talk about the dreams the next morning and you know they're going back and forth about it she wants to know the exact truth of what happened and she wants them to tell them exactly next time it happens and then when she's starting to walk away like yes let's go let's go mount the horses and he's like no like i was like yes this is great because you're feeling like he has every reason for saying this because you know they've left their home and they're traveling across the country and yes you know you have these monsters following you but like you're leading us but you're not telling us anything and it you can definitely kind of at least for me i could i was like i can actually this time feel like why he's feeling like see and feel why he's feeling this way and having this reaction yeah he even says though he's like 
There might be a place for Egwene at your White Tower, but what's a man yeah. to do there? Other than, that was so good. you know, become a warder or a servant. And it makes you have to ask a couple questions, like, is Rand starting to feel something? Because we haven't, like, in the books, there was some things that happened that gave you some signs of things to come and haven't really gotten those and I'm, but I'm wondering if they're happening and maybe we'll see them later on as flashbacks or something but I know what you're talking about and I don't think so yet but mm-hmm. I think that is a good uh, oh. a good thing to keep well, in yeah. mind because with us being uh, television show watchers now like we need to be shown <laughs> something it's not like implied background stuff like i think this what you're talking about will definitely be shown yeah well and they i know they in episode three they did a little bit but yeah yeah um but i also think like perrin is still keeping layla's death a secret like he's not telling anybody he's the one that did it and he's letting them internalizing it. yeah i mean it's it's just bad for him um and i i matt in this scene too, i know was i was gonna say matt's the he voice of some, reason here yeah i know he added some much needed humor there too with the, she's the one throwing fireballs so i yeah <laughs> to go stick with her i was like yeah that's what i meant by reason it's like okay yes stick with the fireball wielding witch basically for lack yeah. of a better term just go like i'm not gonna go by myself to face trollocs no thank you and that was definitely like egwene's reaction was perfect yes. too i was like i was like classic Egwene. i was getting book flashbacks um, all throughout that part but i also liked how uh lan was just like lurking off to the side like keeping an eye on them still like even after like he said oh i'm leaving you guys behind but then we get to the white cloaks being police and being like off your horses now show me your hands no rings being i said i here oh yeah so polite. so polite though they really were actually like I thought that Bornhold, um, who is the older gentleman that, that you saw, mm-hmm. I, I feel like he was actually very likable. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh yeah. I'm, I'm not like hating you right now, White Cloak. Well, What's happening? I always thought he was likable in the books, too. Like yeah. he, he had like an edge he did. that you could get to, but... But he was always like a little bit of like that grandfathery, trying to give mm-hmm. you a way out type of person. So I do, yeah. I do like Bornhold, though. The one complaint I have, and it's a big one, okay. no matter what, I could never see a white cloak, let alone a Lord Captain, telling another person to seek out an Aes Sedai for healing. Like, no way that happens. And when he told Moraine that the only thing she, that could be done for her wound was if she saw an Aes Sedai for healing... Because even though they like to steer clear of them themselves, she needs to see one to get that wound healed. And so I was like, that's a big issue for me. Yeah, but again, I think it comes down to, one, they want to give the audience, like, a little more urgency to what's happening to Moraine, too. And, you know, the kind of the irony of the situation, because, oh, like, even though these people hate the white, I said I, they do somewhat see like there's some things that they just can't do um mm-hmm. i agree though they probably would never name drop i said i no and also did you notice how like they referred to the hand of the light officially as questioners in the show yes <laughs> i was like that's used as a derogatory it. term for the hand of the light in uh, the books yeah. but to call them questioners here like okay maybe that's what they're calling them here in the show but it kind of caught me by surprise I'm fine with it. oh i'm fine yeah. with it yeah 
Yeah, and I like how he was like, we serve a higher calling. <laughs> yeah, the kind where we cut off your hands and burn you alive. Yeah. Um, but I also thought this scene was a very good portrayal of the bending of words. Oh, yes. And how Moraine yes. was like, oh, I didn't lie to the really White good. Cloak. I always tell the truth, just not the truth you think you hear. <laughs> which, again, comes back to that yeah, saying. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, loved it. Then, it was good for the audience and for Egwene. Yes. Then we get to my favorite scene in this episode, and maybe my favorite scene in the entire show so far. But we get to see the the Emmonsfielders and Moraine and Land going down the road, and then Matt breaks out into song and starts singing Sing for Manetherin. So, want to give this a try, Mike? Yeah, Okay. let's go for it. All right, let's try. One, two, three, go. We, we walk, walk the footsteps, the footsteps of, our of our fathers. The trail blazed by our mothers. They bought the land with their blood long, long ago. Long ago. I just love that part like oh God, that was sing so good. of Manetherin. I like Soon. that part yeah. is my favorite. Oh uh, love it. Song. Yeah. So that gave me so much chills the first time I saw it. And like even though I was while my watch through there, I saw it, I started getting the chills and goosebumps again. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's so good. But like it I was is. like, is this like a hint of like Matt's old blood connection? Because like he's the one that starts leading it. And I know it's not in the old tongue, but it kind of gave me those vibes there. Well, and the fact too that they were like when Moraine starts giving the history and giving us the exposition, and we've talked about their history before, um, and they're like, who cares? It's just some old song. Like, yeah, we don't even know who they are. And it's just right. like, wow. Like, you know this song. Like, you sing about it, and you have no idea the history of your, like, culture. Or, like, you know, your town and your village and, like, that area. Yes. So, in case that sounded absolutely terrible, Mike and I are recording this in two very different locations. I'm up in Vermont. Mike's down in North Carolina. So we're trying this over Discord, but, eh. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if we can edit it. If it's completely terrible, then you probably won't hear any of that. No, just kidding. You'll hear something. <laughs> but uh, also, Manetherin uh, meant mountain home. And again, mm. like it just was perfect for the two rivers since, you know, yeah. in Emmonsfield, since you saw all the mountains in the background in the first episode. And just like the story that Moraine told of the battle of Manetherin there, like, with the story of Eldrine uh, drawing in so much of the one power that she burned herself out, killing everybody there. Did you there. see the like, quick flash to Egwene there? I, well, I was like, foreshadowing? <laughs> What's mm. happening here? Like, Don't know. Uh, yeah. On? I was like, but again, just, okay, I want to highlight this on probably every podcast that we're going to be doing for these first three episodes at least, but fantastic visuals here for this mm-hmm. episode again. Like, Man, the the on location shooting just was peak peak. It was so good. It is. It is really good. 
Then we see Perrin and the wolves. And I was like, okay, so like kind of doing maybe a little foreshadowing here as well. No Elias Machira that I'm seeing. Like, what are yeah. your thoughts here? That was really strange for me. I I kind of was like, I liked it that you got to see him interact with them. And like, and even into the, you know, I know we're not talking about episode three yet, but even into episode three, you get more interaction with them. But I do kind of wish they would bring Elias in, and I'm wondering if they're not going to. I have a feeling they're not going to. So for those of you that don't know, um, in the books, Elias Machira is the person who kind of introduces Perrin to the wolves. But uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, maybe we get him, maybe we don't. Um, I don't think we will, but we can always keep our fingers crossed. Um, So again, I don't know, like if they've nerfed Lan's powers at all here, but he lets a Fade get way too close and, like, an entire Trolloc army, like, right on top of them before he's like, we should leave. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? You're a warder. <laughs> Put some respect on that name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I mean, they were still pretty far away, though. Maybe. It felt, it felt like they were quite close to me, but maybe if they were farther away. Maybe I was just having my own biases of, like, Lan not being as much of a badass as he is in the books um, play into it. But I will say, seeing Shadar Logoth, it looked absolutely great. It was Agreed. creepy as can be, and mm-hmm. it gave me chills just, like, oh, walking yeah. into this, the city there, seeing it completely empty of everybody, all the detail work there. Fantastic job on Shadar Logoth. Yes, and I have to say, like, as someone who's not a fan of horror movies, there were parts where I was just like, I feel like something's going to jump out right now, and I'm not ready for this. <laughs> I, I mean, did you not saw all the this. shadows, right? Like, the shadows yes. were, like, kind of moving around, like, when you, mm-hmm. you look closely, like, kind of, like, shifting shadows, or, like, someone was walking and then no one was there. So, yeah. for sure. I will say as well that uh, Matt in this scene here where he continues to be, again, my, my opinion, the best character out of the entire bunch. <laughs> um, he was still fun-loving, but not as much as he was in the books. And he still provides a little comic relief that we see in this episode here, but mm-hmm. I just I really wish that like Matt was a little more mischievous and a little bit more jokestery um, in the show. But we're not going yeah. to be seeing that anytime soon with him unfortunately um yeah, after he finds the dagger i do think yeah. the scene with him and perrin was that's what i wanted to go next was yeah really good i thought that him being there for perrin again just mm-hmm. showed matt the caretaker and like showed matt being like what makes him the best character just <laughs> being being there for his friend when he needed him the most for sure i thought that was a really touching scene and it and it made me go back to what we had said in episode one where we were like, oh, like, we don't know why we they added in Perrin's wife. And, like, it's because they could do scenes like this and you could get more from more than just one character and you get you get to know them better. And so you, you grow more attached to them. And so, like, in that sense, I understand why they did what they did and why they added um, her in. But... I, there could have been there could have been other ways or would they I mean, did that maybe opinion, just a girlfriend 
or something. Yeah, um, maybe a girlfriend, or even if they did it where they killed Harl Lujan instead. Yeah. Like, that still would have had a lasting impact on Perrin because he was like a father figure to him in the books. Yeah. So I would have preferred that, even though that, again, would have broken book canon. I think it would have made way more sense. I think this way they didn't really... They broke book canon, but they didn't, you know, damage it beyond repair. But by not having in those characters too, they're technically, you know, exactly. Just, anyway, yeah. But anyways, let's talk about Matt and his dagger. Like, yeah. What What were your thoughts on that? Because again, done differently, but I thought it was done well. Oh yeah, I thought it was done great because you know, if we think about it anyway, it's really the city, right? That's alive. That's trapped it there, and even though they we didn't get as thorough an explanation as we did in the books about Shatter Logoth, at least in my opinion. Um, oh, that's a fact, man. That's a fact. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I thought the way that it was presented, like he just happened upon it, and oh, it's, you know, nothing harmed, and Land just said not to eat anything. And, well, he said, don't touch anything and don't yeah. eat anything, which my fiancé thought this, and I kind of agree with that. I was like, that's stupid. Why would you eat anything in a place like this? If you saw a freshly baked loaf of bread, wouldn't you be like, where'd this come from and not touch it? Where are it? the people? Yeah. Yeah, where's the people? Um, yeah, but, it, you know, there should have been more, a little more explanation to it than that. But him yes. finding the dagger, like, that's the scene where I was like, I was waiting for Mordith, Mordith to jump out, and I was like, oh, please don't jump out. I can't handle it. <laughs> um, and so I was very thankful that they didn't, but they obviously hit the tone there really well. Like, well, very then ominous. we got... Then we got Mashadar Unleashed, which Mashadar is a yeah, very different than I thought as well. But Mashadar is the the spreading blackness you saw mm-hmm. over on the ground there, the thing that consumed the horse and everything there. Um, so Mashadar is basically like a manifestation of the evil of Shadow Logoth, and in the books there, it is kind of controlled by this character called Mordith um, that you don't get here in the show. But I think that was still all right because, again, not necessarily the most important character. Although some of what he happens later in the in the series, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought that that uh, the way that Mashadar spread out and like kind of separated everybody into their own groups and like forced them all out by different exits, yeah, definitely provided really some nice setup for the next episode. Yeah, I thought I felt like that was really well done too. I wish you had seen maybe just a little bit of Trollocs getting devoured by it. Me too. I thought Me that too. That would have been really cool. And I like I going back just a little bit. I do like the scene where Rand's up in the building and then Egwene comes up and they just sort of look around because it's just like wow, like they never would have they never have experienced anything like this. Right. Even if it is destroyed and ruined and it's kind of creepy, like this is really it was cool. still a beautiful shot too. Like just mm-hmm. looking out over the city there. And Fairly certain it was a CGI city, but still, yeah. <laughs> it, it looked stunning. Like, great job to whoever did CGI work on Shadow Logoth. Looked great. Yeah, really was. Um. So, yeah, then we talked about how, like, Perrin and Egwene jump off of this giant wall to plunge into the river and escape to the other side. Whereas, like, Matt, sorry, where, yeah, Matt and Rand um, are squeezing through harder to reach crevices and everything and like get this get to this gate 
And, like, I almost felt like you already started to see, like, the dagger turning Matt's personality a little bit when Rand's like, here, help me over. He's like, why don't you help me over? Like, I almost felt like that was, like, the selfishness of the dagger's evil spreading into Matt already. But they get out and they get to ride on a log down the river, which kind of... It's disappointing because we get to miss out on a character I do actually really like, Bal Domond. Yeah. So, like, I, I do like him, but I understand that. We'll get him we'll, later on. We'll get I'm him sure. later, yeah. He's, he's too important to cut out of the series altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also see the a scene that I, I did enjoy where Lan gets Moraine out, and then all of a sudden there's a knife at his throat, and oh, it's yeah. Nynaeve sneaking up on It was Lan. so great. Again, this... Uh, we're going to talk more about that in the next episode, but, like, yeah, Nynaeve just so awesome. Yep, Love so she's they... well alive. Everyone can breathe a sigh of relief if you thought they'd kill off one of the best characters th- this early. Uh, that's not happening. Nynaeve Elmira is here to stay. So... I thought that scene was really funny because in the books, uh, Nynaeve tries to sneak up on Lan and Moraine. And Lan's like, I hear you. Just come on out here. Come on out. I know you're there. And here she's actually able to do it. But again, we'll talk about that more in the next episode here where we break down episode three. But definitely enjoyed this episode here a little bit more than the first one, I'd say. Maybe, I'd agree. maybe not my favorite episode of uh, all the trilogy that was released today on November nineteenth, but mm-hmm. still really good. Enjoy this one a bit. Yeah, I I would say that I like this better than uh, episode one, and I think you had said something when we were um, just in between recording episode one and this episode. Uh, sorry, when we were recording about episode one versus episode two here you said that episode one felt so jam-packed and like very fast-paced and this one was definitely more of like a like a you know that release yeah they let it breathe a little bit yeah so you got a little more time with people and you got to really get to know things better and i think that really helped it and it's the the slightly slower pace i think is so much better than what we had in that first episode where it was just so much going on that it was really hard to you know get attached to anything now don't get me wrong i still did personally really enjoy episode one but episode two was really good um so my fiance again who hasn't really read the books as much as us i keep saying that but running context yeah amy uh, she uh she did give me like her notes on all three of these episodes here. So her notes on episode two were that she liked the backstory that the song of Manetherin and the story provided, and like how like the show seemed to slow down for her as well here, which is what Mike and I have been talking about in this last part here. Um, and she really liked the white cloak scenes. Thought it provided like um, some really like startling imagery where like you see how brutal they can actually be there. And just, like, it provided good world-building with, like, the stories of the Aes Sedai and the Three Mm -hmm. Oaths. Um, She was a little confused about the baths and the wolves and the wound that wasn't healing on Perrin, but really Mm -hmm. liked Shatter Logoth and, in general, has had a general positive view of the show so far. So, looking forward to uh, talking episode three because some really cool stuff happens in that one there. But, again, my personal favorite scene from this trilogy of episodes was the sing for Manetherin scene so really happy yeah. to be able to 
talk about that part there. And I think I've watched that particular scene like at least five times already. All right, so Mike, before we get out of here, is there anything else you want to talk about for episode two, Shadows Waiting? Nope. (laughs) All right. Well, with that said, we will see you guys at the next turning of the wheel. Goodbye. Bye.